Let's turn our Bibles to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6 this morning. This morning, Anne drew attention to something in our Sunday school class. My wife and I teach the, the 7th, 8th graders, I think, or 6th, 6th to 8th graders, something like that. And great young, great group of young people that uh, I enjoy teaching them. But uh, she drew attention to the lady with the issue of the blood this morning. And, uh, and maybe this is in the lesson and I just missed it. But, you know, in the lesson it talks about, or, or she was sharing with us that, you know, her blood issue in, in Jewish culture and Jewish ceremonial law made her unclean before temple worship. She couldn't participate in temple worship. She was unclean because of her blood. And, and yet it's the blood of Christ and if you happen to be our guest and, and, and don't know much about Christianity, you know, we, we, we were, have often been accused of being a bloody religion because we focus on the blood of Christ. But the blood of Christ is synonymous with his death for us, but he did shed his blood, even as in the Old Testament, sacrifices would bleed. He shed his blood for us. And she made the comment, you know, it was her blood or her issue of blood that made her unclean, but it was the shed blood of Jesus that makes us clean before God. And uh, boy, I, I tell you that just that struck me. And as we were singing about um, about our shame being removed, she had great shame, didn't she? She had great shame. Uh, the way people looked at her, the way she felt, uh, she felt filled with shame. And yet Jesus took her shame. She didn't have shame anymore. She was no longer bleeding. And so it is with us. You know, you may be here this morning, and and you have failed the Lord. You know it, and you're filled with shame because of maybe how you failed. I really want you to know this morning, Jesus wants to release you and, and liberate you of your shame. I mean, he died for you that you don't have to have shame. You can, you can, you can by faith, trust in him, and he will take your shame. And, and even for those of us that follow Jesus, you may be here this week, and you may have failed the Lord, and you may be filled with shame this morning. I want you to know that the Lord is gracious and merciful and kind. So even as his follower, if you have shame this morning because of failure, then, then take that to the Lord. You know, confess your sin to him. Maybe you need to even confess to a brother or a sister, but confess your sin. and Let the Lord Jesus take your shame and, uh, and cleanse you. At a church meeting, a wealthy man stood up to share his testimony of his Christian faith. And he stood up and he said, I'm a millionaire, and I attribute all my riches and all my wealth and blessing to, uh, in my life to God. I remember the turning point in my faith. I had just earned my first dollar and I went to a church meeting that night and the speaker was a missionary who told about his work. And I knew I only had one dollar bill and I had to either give it all to God's work or nothing at all. So at that moment, I decided to give my whole dollar to God. I believe that God has blessed me with that decision and I, that's why I'm a rich man today. And he finished and everybody sat, he sat down and everybody was in awe. But he sat down next to this dear little old lady. She leaned over to him as he sat down. She said, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> I got to tell you, I found that little story humorous because I recognized what that lady recognizes. And it's this, that the costlier the sacrifice, the harder it is to surrender something. You know, if, if you've been with us from the beginning of the series, and even if not, I want to tell you that Jesus has been asking us for a costlier sacrifice of obedience. He's been asking us for more than what the Jews of that day would have said. This is what the law, this is what God expects of us. Jesus took it to a deeper level. And he said, you know, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, don't, don't murder. But I tell you, don't get angry. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I tell you, don't even lust in your heart. 
You know, you've heard it said, you know, marry. I say, marry and don't divorce. Even, even, even for these, especially these people who are trying to give you biblical reasons to divorce. Don't divorce. You've heard it said, love your friends and your neighbors. I say, don't just love your friends and your neighbors. Love even your enemies. So far, these challenges that Jesus has been laying out before his followers and laying out before us have been issues of, of character. They're really issues of our heart, and what's on the inside. In, the, in the, the verses before us today, Jesus is going to actually kind of go a step further and talk to us about the very practice of our righteousness in certain areas and certain things we are to do and not to do as we practice righteousness. And the two issues that he's going to hone in on or use as illustrations for how we're to be are giving and praying. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you, they got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you they got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters since uh, they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Let's pray again. Father, open our hearts to your word. And Lord, this is very simple, very straightforward, easy to understand. Lord, show us how we might practically live it out, even as you are suggesting in these verses. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before we actually look at the two issues of giving and praying, there's, there's two things that I want you to note from, from both illustrations that are common to both of them. Here's the first one. Um, giving to the poor and praying to God are two things the righteous do. There's two things that those of us that are righteous in Christ, that our righteousness has been found in Christ, that we are following after God. These are two things that we do. Let's talk first about the giving, the giving, the righteousness of giving. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11, Old Testament. To the Jewish people, God said, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be any unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, The seventh year, the year of release, is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your your work and in all you undertake for there will never cease to be poor in the land therefore i command you you shall open wide your hand to your brother to the needy and to the poor in your land now here's what the, here's what jesus is saying to us the righteous give an act of righteousness is that we give to the poor 
That quote I gave you from Deuteronomy makes it very, very clear that we are to open our hand to the ones in need. Now, I recognize that this was directed towards the Jews. God had called them to be a separate people. You probably know this, but God had called the Jews and he said, look, I'm going to make you a special people and I'm going to do two things for you. I'm going to provide for you and I'm going to protect you. What I ask of you is that you love me and follow me, that you obey me. That's what I ask. And and we know that through most of the Jewish history, Israel did not do that. They didn't trust God. They didn't follow God. They didn't obey God. God was continually trying to pull them back. But there was always, within, within Israel as a nation, there was always a remnant of people who had faith. There was always a remnant of people who trusted the God of Israel, and they followed him. God said, hey, as I protect you and provide for you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to care for the poor. I want you to open your hand. And if you see your brother in need, you're to provide for that brother. Um, Oh, I lost my train of thought. There was something I wanted to tell you there. Let me move on. Proverbs 19.17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. We get into the the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saint, to the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Giving to the poor has never been optional for us. It has always been a part of true righteousness. In other words, if we are right with God and following God and the imputed righteousness, the given to us righteousness of Christ is ours, the outflow of that will be practical righteousness where we give to the plight of those in need. Now, some people could make a case. Well, in the Old Testament, it was for the Jewish people. And Paul in Romans 12 says that we're to care for the saints. And indeed, we are. The place it ought to begin is in the household of God. God says if we don't care for one another, we are, we are less than a, uh, an unbeliever if we don't care for each other in our immediate families, and I believe in the family of God. Okay, But, but God's desire, remember he said it, everybody who gives a cup of water, who provides anything in my name, is doing it unto me. In the Old Testament, the Jews required the third year, uh, every third year, to take a tenth of their salary and to give it to the poor. Listen to Deuteronomy 26.12. You will set apart a tenth of everything you produce in the third year. That's the year for giving the tenth to people who have greater needs. You will give it to the Levites, outsiders, and widows. You will also give it to children whose fathers have died. When all of them will have plenty, then all of them will have plenty to eat in your towns. You know, I wondered, and again, America is not at all Israel, but what if, what if every American gave a tithe every third year to, to provide for the needs of the poor? I wonder what that would be like. I'm not necessarily advocating it, but I wondered the amount of money that we would have to actually care for the poor. Here's my point. Don't miss it. My point is that righteousness leads us to give. Here's the second thing. This is a sub-point in that first one. Righteousness leads us to pray. Prayer is an outflow of the righteousness that we have in Christ. Again, in chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness before men. And he goes on to say some other things. And then when he gets to verse 5, he gives an illustration of that. Whenever you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites. And so Jesus is saying that prayer is one of those acts of righteousness. Now, indeed, in the New Testament, Paul commands us to pray without ceasing. Praying is something that we need to do. But here's something I want you to understand. Prayer is more than just a commandment of something we obey. Now hear me, prayer is your lifeline. Prayer is your lifeblood in your relationship with God. Prayer is how you relate to God. Prayer is how you talk.
talk with God. Prayer is how you build your relationship with God. There are over 650 prayers listed in the Bible. There are over 450 answers to petition prayers in the Bible. The first prayer recorded in the Bible where man instigates it is Genesis 4.26. But prior to that, God is instigating dialogue with man all the time, which is what prayer is. The Bible records Jesus praying 25 different times in his ministry. And, and the, Paul, the Apostle Paul uses prayer or praying or exhortations 41 times in his writings. Again, what's my point in saying that? I, I write that to tell you that prayer is just... It's inculcated in all the New Testament. I mean, it's just, it's part of who we are as the people of God because this is how we communicate with God. It is what the righteous do. Not, they don't, they're not doing it as an act. Okay, I'm, I'm doing my prayer. Like if, if you were of Islamic faith, you are required to pray certain repetitious prayers over and over and over again. That's not what, that's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about prayer. Prayer is not this, and again, Jesus is going to address this in just a moment. Prayer is not this repetitious thing that you repeat a certain amount of times a day. Prayer is your communication. It's your lifeline to God. It's how you talk and relate to God. So it's the practice of our righteousness. You know, the Bible talks about, listen to this, there's at least five specific postures for prayer mentioned in the Bible. There's sitting, standing, kneeling, laying on the ground with your face to the ground, and with your hands lifted up in the air. Now, why does God record all those positions of prayer? Because those are the only five that we can use, or those are the five we have to use? Here's what Jesus, I believe, is saying, or God's recording for us in his word when he records all these different positions. He's basically saying prayer is just something we do all the time. When we're walking, when we're sitting, when we're lying down, and certain depending on where we are in our relationship with God, some prayers demand that we fall face on the ground. Sometimes it's okay to pray sitting. Praying praying is just what we do as as the sons and daughters of God. That was the first thing that I wanted you to notice from both things. Prayer and giving are acts of righteousness. Now here's the second thing I want you to note. That if you practice these two things for the purpose of pride, then they're not really righteousness at all. If you practice giving and you practice praying for the purpose of your own pride and ego, then they're really not righteousness as God defines it to be. Chapter 6, verse 1 again. Be careful not to practice your own righteousness or your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The basic principle is simply this. If you practice righteousness, and really whether it's praying or giving, if you practice acts of righteousness to be noticed by others, you're really not living out righteousness at all. God doesn't notice such ego-driven stuff. In Luke chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. And this is what he says to them. He says, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. What does he mean by that? You are the guys who are practicing these righteous things outwardly so people will look at you and say, wow, what a wonderful, godly person you are. He said, but God knows your heart, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Here's what Jesus means. He means that just because you do something outwardly, It's not necessarily righteousness, because righteousness lived out in our lives, the practical righteousness that God desires of us, must come from a heart. And if that heart is is, is focused on me and what I'm doing is so that people will notice me, Jesus says, it's no righteousness at all. When it came to prayer, Jesus said something similar to what he said about giving. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you that they got their rewards. Now, from what I understand from, from, from reading and stuff, 
that they're, they're really living out this false narrative in front of people. In other words, they stand on the corner and, and they pray for the purpose of people seeing them. And when it comes to giving, they, they give blowing trumpets and people pointing to their giving so that people would see that. Jesus says that's not righteousness at all. As a matter of fact, that kind of thing is detestable to me. So when you give and when you pray, our Savior is saying to you today, evaluate your motives. Evaluate what you're doing. Make sure you aren't letting your desire for personal praise overtake you. Now let's look at the two things that he mentions in particular, giving and how to practice giving and then how to practice praying. Let's start with giving, verse 2. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you they got the reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now here it is. It's not really hard to follow. I told Anne this is going to be a very, very simple message. When you give, and remember we already established that giving is what the righteous do. When you give... Just do so without drawing attention to yourself. It's just that simple. Are you to give? Absolutely. Should you be giving? You definitely should be. Remember, God commanded the Jews every third year to give a tenth of their salary to the poor. You know, I, you know, I keep thinking, well, Lord, is that something you might want me to do as your follower? But, 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 but here's my point, right? Giving is what the righteous do, but we don't do it to draw attention to ourselves. Don't you do that? Jesus said, don't let your left hand, left hand know what your right hand is doing, okay? Now, that's impossible. My left hand doesn't think, neither does my right hand, okay? It's impossible for my left hand to do something that my right hand, you know... It, Here's, here's what we think, right? So Jesus isn't trying. Some people take this and say, you know, I shouldn't even know what I give. That, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's using hyperbole. He's using hyperbole, a figure of speech. And what he's saying is that when you give, you know, you give in such a way that you are not drawing attention to yourself. Give, give unobtrusively. Give in a spirit of humility and simplicity as a private act of worship. Don't give in order to get your name on a list. Don't give in a spirit of self-congratulation. Don't dwell on your gift, fixating on it, building a mental shrine to yourself. You know, it's not just that I have to be careful about my motive for giving with you. I have to be careful with my motive of giving with myself. That I don't begin to kind of pat myself on the back about how good I did and how much I gave or whatever. I mean... Jesus is saying that is not how we give. Now, a big question for us to to ask ourselves is, is Jesus saying it's always wrong for other people to know what you give? What do you think? No, he's not saying that. In Acts chapter 2, verse 45, we read that the Christians were selling their possessions and bringing them to the community and, and dispersing them with people that had needs, right? I mean, everybody knew who was doing what. In fact, in the next few verses, even though no names are named there, when we get to chapter 4, verse 32 of the book of Acts, a name is named, Barnabas. And Barnabas sold a piece of land and brought it all the proceeds before the, 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 before the apostles and basically gave it out. You know, if, if Jesus is saying that we are never to give in such a way that people would know what we're giving, then, then they're being disobedient in the New Testament days. That's not what Jesus is saying. Did public recognition tempt others to give for the wrong motives? I'm sure it did. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, you know, they, they sold a piece of land they came before the apostles, everybody knows it, and they said, here's we sold our land for X amount of dollars, but they really were only giving Y amount of dollars. And the disciples said, or the apostles said, is, is, is this all? And they said, yep. And they lied. And you remember there was, you know, God had something to say about that. 
You know, early on in the Sermon on the Mount, remember Jesus said, let your, let your work shine before men so that people might give praise to God. You know, there's a time and a place sometimes where your giving will be something that in knowing it is going to bring glory to God. I think I've probably told this story before. It made such an impact on me. But John Morgan and Sagemont Church, when they were, you know, they, you know, this whole idea of debt-free building, I think in my mind anyway, came first from John Morgan and Sagemont. But they would have, they had a night where they were calling people to give. I know I've told this story, so I'll be quick. Uh, they were having a night where everybody was asked to give. And this one lady comes down to the front and she takes off her engagement ring, big diamond, and gives it to John and says, I want to give this to, to the new building. And so she does. And, and I can imagine that that night, you know, that was, you know, she's publicly doing that. And so everybody knows. And I imagine that was a moving thing. And John Morgan says that afterwards, that before the night was even over, after they had dismissed and he'd gone home, somebody came up to him and said, John, how much is that ring worth? And, uh, and John said, I don't know. We're having it appraised. And he said, well, after you have it appraised, let me know. So that guy comes to John uh, early in the week and he said, look, I want to buy that ring from the church. John said, okay. And so he buys the ring. He said, now I want you to give it back to that lady. He said, okay. John said before the week was over, like five to ten, I can't remember the number, but all these different people came and said, how much is that ring worth? And they would all buy it, and then they would all give it back to the, to the lady who gave it. And, uh, you, know, you know, her giving publicly there inspired a lot of people to do a lot of good. But the neat thing about it is when John Morgan tried to give that ring back to her, she said, John, I didn't give that ring to you. And uh, she wouldn't. She wouldn't take the ring. She wouldn't take the ring back. Here, here's here's my point. Jesus isn't trying to say to us that you can never give in such a way that people might find out or know. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that when you and I give, and we should give, when we give, don't do it drawing attention to yourself. Don't make it about you. You give because God wants you uh, to give, and that's your, that's your soul. Motivation. Now, by the way, before I move on to talking about prayer, one, one practical way we have sought to apply this as a church, and, and I'll, I'll confess it, it didn't start out this way, but we have a share box on the back wall, and part of the reason we've maintained that all these years is because giving is an, is, it's an act between you and God. It's really not about what the person sitting next to you is or isn't doing. And, and so you have an opportunity to give, but you know it's between you and the Lord. That's what Jesus is basically saying here when it comes to our giving. Now, let's look at the second one, which is the practice of righteousness. I mean, the practice of praying as righteousness. And so he says in verse 6, When you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. So, what about praying? Well, just like giving, Jesus is basically saying your praying is between you and God. It's really not about what anybody else thinks. Now, I'm told that in history, the Pharisees and a lot of the religious, religious leaders would pray out on the street corner, out loud. So, you know, they're having their personal prayer time out loud so everybody can see them praying and drawing attention to them. And you know what they want people to say? Wow, what a spiritual person. You know, what a godly man that is. And Jesus says, you know, if you're praying so that people will notice your spirituality, then, man, you have your reward in, in full. Prayer, let me say this again, I've said it already, but prayer is first and foremost, it's not 
It's not like this act of something we do to give to God. Prayer is our conversation with God. It, it is, it is that, it's that way of relating to God. And it's personal. So therefore, it, there's no need for it to ever be my personal prayer time. There is no need for it to ever be public. Praying is what we do as righteous people. Jesus assumes we will pray, uh, but our praying is between us and him. And it's not about us showing off to someone else. So now the second, the same question arises with the giving. Is public praying wrong? And if it is, then we violate it every single week, right? And all. But praying, public praying is not wrong. How do I know that? I know that because in the New Testament, Peter and, Peter and James, or Peter, Peter and John, remember they're arrested when they're freed, they come back, they all gather together and they're all praying. And when they finish praying, it says the place where they were was shaken. Then Peter, in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, he, he's freed from prison. You remember? And he goes to Mary's house, which is John Mark's mom. And he knocks on the door. And it says, it says, and they were praying there. And Peter knocked on the door. And the servant Rhoda came to the door. And she doesn't believe it's Peter. She runs back in and says, Peter's at the gate. And anyway, they're praying together. So, so the early church prayed together in community. Jesus is not telling us that we should not pray together, that public praying is wrong. That's a misunderstanding. What he is saying here is that your praying should never be to show off your spirituality. Your praying should never be about you and what other people might think of you by your prayers. So here's what I think this means specifically. When you're praying, just talk to God as your father because that's who he is. Just talk to him like he's your father. You know, I've suggested this before. Uh, you know, I, I, I took this from Bill Hybels, Bill Hybel, but Bill, Bill talks about having chair time. You know, we've talked about that before. You know, when you're chair time, why not pull up another chair? And I'm not saying you need to visualize God or anything like that, but pull up another chair just to remind you that you are in conversation with a real person, the creator of the universe. But but praying is just that conversing is you're talking to your God and talking to your father. Just remember that. Here's another thing. Don't worry about going through a list when you pray. I think lists are good. A lot of you use lists. I've got a list on my phone of things I'm trying to remember to pray for because I'm forgetful. But praying isn't about going through a list, everybody. It's not about checking off that I mentioned certain amount of people. Praying is you and God just in relationship and you and God conversing. Don't worry about being too long or too short in your prayers. Don't worry about praying too often or, or talking to God continually or too much. Uh, he's actually encouraged when you do that. And he encourages us to do that. The bottom line is just pray. But notice this in the text. You see it. Jesus does talk to us about being too verbose and being repetitious, repetitious. The word is babble there, right? He's basically saying don't babble in your prayers. Now, in the context... I don't think Jesus is talking about private, personal prayer. In fact, if you want to be verbose in your private prayer time, you go right ahead. I don't think Jesus is ever saying, man, will you get to the point? You know, I just don't think that's how he's measuring your prayers. So if you want to tell him every little detail of every little thing, I mean, I think he's good with that, all right? I think he's good with that. On the other hand, even in my personal prayer time, he says... You know, don't be like the idolaters and babblers who use vain repetition. Here's what I think Jesus means by that. You know, don't, don't repeat the same prayers over and over and over again, thinking that by repeating the same prayer, 
in this kind of just repetitious way. I'm not saying don't continue to pray about things. I think we should continue to pray and not give up. But, but don't just keep repeating the same prayer over and over and over again because Jesus says that's babbling. Now, there's a lot of folks, you know, there's a lot of folks who do that. There's a lot of religions who do that. Just, you know, hey, they, they say the same prayers over and over and over again. Even in a branch of the Christian faith, we have folks teaching us that we need to say a certain amount of this prayers and a certain amount of this prayers, and you say them over and over again, and somehow that's going to absolve you from your sin. Nothing could be more contrary to what Jesus tells us right here in this passage. So when you're, when you're praying, personally, use as many words as you want, but when you're praying in the congregation, you know, you don't need to use a lot of words. You don't need to describe the situation to God because he already knows it and the rest of us are just following along with your prayer. Um, when you're praying conversationally in a group, don't, you know, don't pray extended prayers. Pray conversationally. Choose one or two things, pray, and then pull over and let somebody else pray. I always like to look at it that way. You know, you ever been behind a slow driver and you just really want to get around them, but you can't? Okay? I kind of view praying in a group like that, you know? You pull over and let somebody else pray for a few moments and then they let them pull over. And, you know, that's how conversational prayer goes. And here's one more thing I want to say about praying uh, together. And that is that don't be shy to pray. Don't be shy. to You know, but shy praying is exactly the opposite of the person who's boastful praying, who, who wants to be praying so everybody can see him. Because shy praying is the kind of praying where your focus is on you again. Your focus is on you. Just talk to God. Just talk to God. I can remember one time, I was, I was younger, and uh, somebody that I loved dearly was talking about my praying. And they said, you know, when Jimmy prays, it sounds like he's just talking to God, like he's right there with you. And they thought that was a bad thing. And when they prayed, it was a lot more, not sure what word to use, you know, but I think you know what I'm talking about. And it hurt at first because I'm in there evaluating my prayers and all. But you know what? I stand by that. I really want to encourage all of you. Talk to God like he's your father because he is your father in Christ. He is your father as creator. So when you talk to God, you know, talk to him just like you would a person. Do so with honor, just like you talk to your father with honor. Talk to God with honor, but, but just talk to God. So let me summarize everything I've said. Here's what Jesus is saying to us today. Practice the righteousness of giving. I mean, it's a given, no pun intended. It's a given that we should be giving. Give to those in need. Can I ask you a serious question, and I don't really want you to answer out loud, but do you systematically give to people in need? How, do, how are you set aside any of your salary, any of the money that God's provided you? How are you doing that to, to help provide for people in need? You know, we all, I think, have this altruistic sort of mindset, especially as followers of Jesus, that we need to help the poor. I really want to tell you, if we don't do something systematic, we tend not to do anything at all. So I would really encourage you, make a decision today. I'm going to give. I'm going to give not to draw attention to myself. I'm going to give because it's what God wants me to do. And I'm going to do it in such a way as to bring honor and glory to him and nothing to myself. And then uh, finally, the practice of the righteousness of praying. Praying isn't this thing that we do so people will say, oh, look how spiritual that person is. Praying is the expression of your relationship with God. So pray. Just talk to God. You know, I, I thought about this and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But most of us don't suffer from praying to draw attention to ourselves. Most of us suffer from prayerlessness. We suffer from not really talking to God at all. Going through our day and 
being oblivious to the fact that, that God's in my life and that he loves me and he wants to walk with me through every moment of the day. So here's my challenge to all of us. Let's, let's practice praying. And again, not so to draw attention to ourselves, but let's practice praying so that we're growing in our relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, two really simple challenges us in our challenges in our practice today of giving and, and praying. Lord, so teach us, teach us to give. Lord, teach us to be generous people. Teach us that, you know, loving you, knowing you, being your sons and daughters mean we are generous. We are we don't use, you know, like we don't use that Deuteronomy passage where you know, hey, I'm going to get ripped off if I, if I give to this need. We, we don't do that, Lord. We just are generous to those in need. Show us how to do that. Show us how to be good stewards of what you entrust to us with regard to giving and compassion. Show us how to do that. Father, guard our hearts from pride. Guard our hearts from giving in such a way that people might notice what we do. Help us not to do that. And then when it comes to praying, Father, help us to just pray from our heart, talk to you, not to draw attention to ourselves, but, but help us just to talk to you. Help us to do it privately, Lord, um, in that secret place, in our prayer, in that uh, chair time with you. Help us to just talk with you. And then, and then, Lord, even in our public praying, Father, like I'm doing right now, help us to, you know, help us to just... You know, not be about what other people might think of us. Instead, Lord, help us just to talk to you sincerely from our heart. Help us with these two things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.